welcome to Incorruptible Mass. We are here so that we can all together transform state politics. We know that we could have a state, Massachusetts, um, that truly reflects the needs of the vast majority of the residents of our beautiful Commonwealth. Um, today, we are going to be talking about the housing bond bill, uh, which includes a lot of policies, including uh, a couple that we've been pushing for, for a while now. Um, transfer fee, eviction ceiling, um, accessory dwelling units, and uh, and a bunch of other policies. It also has some proposed budgets for things, um, for expenditures on housing that we need, including public housing, affordable housing, trusts, um, housing stabilization, and a bunch of other things. Um, and so we are excited to get into this um, today. But before we do, let me introduce my regular co-host. I will start with Jordan. Uh, I'm Jordan Burke Powers. I use he, him, uh, and I live in Worcester uh, because that's what we can afford. So this is a good conversation. And Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan Cohn, I'm he, him, his, joining from Boston. And one of the rare situations, Mariah Rent has not act has barely gone up since 2013, which makes me afraid to ever move. <laughs> wow. um, Anna Callahan, uh, she, her, coming at you from Medford. Um, who had my my rent go up 10% two years in a row. Wow, ouch. Um, makes me want to move immediately. <laughs> uh, so um, we are going to talk about housing um, and especially this bond bill. So um, give us uh, a little bit of background on like, Who's proposing this bill? What stage is it at? Where, where is it going to have to go after this? Um, and what does it actually mean? Yeah, I'll just go really quickly. So um, Governor Healy's, uh has proposed a $4 billion uh, bond bill. This came out of her new department with her new secretary on housing. Um, this is a reminder because what the press and the Healy um, administration would like you to believe is that we're spending $4 billion on affordable housing, but that is not what's happening. In fact, the state cut money, cut money for affordable housing in its last budget. It cut money for um, people who are unhoused. It cut money for rental assistance. So the state is going to spend less on making the state more affordable while it cut taxes for um, for dead billionaires and day traders. Um, what this does is it allows uh, the Healy administration to go into the bond market and debt and say, we're going to pay debt. So we are going to debt ourselves. Um, we're going to not balance our budget. We're not going to raise taxes. We're going to cut taxes. And we're going to go into debt to maybe spend some money on affordable housing. And this allows her to go into $4 billion, the administration, excuse me, to go into $4 billion of debt to spend on affordable housing. The almost never is the entirety of a bond bill um, actually spent. Uh, we only spend roughly about 10% of bond bills across all of those um, spending, because if we did that, we would be broke. And that's the, the bond bill spending is allowed for five years. So again, it's not going to be immediate. Um, a lot of the bond bill, I mean, I guess I don't know for sure how long, but most of the bond bills are about five years that they do affordable housing trust. And so that allows it for us to um, to take out the debt or max out our credit cards um, over a long period of time and isn't an immediate spending. So I think what, what they want you to hear is that we're going to spend $4 billion on affordable housing, but we are not going to do that. We actually cut money. And I think it's important to I'm just going to jump in with a little bit of like when you take out bonds and debt like this, because we do not have a public bank in Massachusetts, which we have been trying to get for years and years yes. and years, 
um, that money, all of the the you know the interest on the debt, and there are many different kinds of fees and all sorts of money that we spend to have that debt. That's all going to Wall Street banks, leaving the state um, instead of what could be happening if we had a public bank, um, which is that money basically staying in Massachusetts. So, just a little little tidbit there about what bond what it means when we do a bond uh, rather than um, doing something else, and what it means to not have a public bank. Jonathan, anything else about specifically just in general about in general that? I just think that's an excellent point from Jordan that like over the over the past few years, I always get annoyed whenever there's a bond bill and and a lot of representatives and senators act as though the money is already out the door. Because there's whenever you have a bond authorization, there's still a lot of work to make sure that the money actually gets spent. And under Charlie Baker, it often wasn't. I think the governor more Healy has more of an incentive. So kind of, kind of in more incentives in place than Baker did to actually want to spend the money. But that still doesn't mean that the money being authorized means that it's getting spent. So it creates the potential to get a lot more in many areas, but there's still a lot of advocacy even after it passes. And does this have to go through the House? Does it have to go through the Senate? Does it have to get approval? Yes. Yeah, so, 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 so the... Uh, the bond the bond bill that kind of Governor Haley put together gets sent over to the legislature um was just on the le- I just looked at the legislature's website and it got sent to the the housing committee and they will have to hold a hearing on it they might hold several given the the number of different pieces and then it has to get out of out of committee it'll have to get through, get kind of approved by ways and means and then it would get be formally voted on by the by the house and the Senate Great. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the policies. So, uh, you know, I think overall we could say, wow, we're excited that these policies are going to maybe make it into this bill. But these policies are perhaps not as good as the ones that we were hoping might get passed by the legislature. So this is, you know, off as often happens, the actual, you know, sort of preempting the legislature by providing something that is less good than we were hoping was actually going to get passed. Um, So why don't we start off with the transfer fee? Yeah, so I think it's important because um, there's a lot of press that, again, the Healy administration loves, which says that, oh, look, they're going to put a transfer fee. So a transfer fee is a small tax, um, some proposals, but roughly it's usually about 2% on any home sales that would go into a trust for affordable housing. Um, this would really help us actually address affordable housing needs in our state. Um, and instead of getting a real transfer fee, the details came out. So the press has covered this. Um, Politico said, like, in a fight with the with the with the House and the Senate, Healy puts in transfer fee, and you know. Um, the master, uh, our state house news said, unsure of bold, like basically bold perspective on the transfer fee. And in fact, it's not the transfer fee. It's a really terrible version that the House and Senate would absolutely not uh, oppose because it basically will probably never get triggered. So the house, so the transfer fee that Maura Healy is opposing is a transfer fee of um, the proposal in this bond bill is is not the proposal that advocates want. It's for a um, allow municipalities to add a, up to up to two percent transfer fee on home sales above a million dollars, or um, above a million dollars, or the median home price for a single family, and only for the amount above whatever is higher. So, for example, if you are in New which the according um, to um, according to uh, um, 
the uh, one sort of site, realtor site, the median home price um, for, excuse me, median home price for Needham is 1.2 million. Um, Wellesley is 1.5 million, 1.6 million. Weston is 1.6. Um, Watertown is just below. But so you have all these places sort of in the suburbs that desperately need affordable housing. You could only tax at 1.6, uh, you could only tax at 1.6 million dollars and only the sale price above 1.6. So if it goes for 1.8, you can only tax $200,000 at 2%. And that's only if they authorize it. <laughs> only the if they authorizes. authorize it, the city authorize it. So it's yeah. really not going to trigger actually a lot of places. Quickly, it's it's county, not municipality. Sorry, yes, it is county, not municipality, but I think it's, it's still a problem. problem. <laughs> that yes. one of the, I think one of the, the big issues that I think of it, the way that it's designed, like it clearly benefits like Boston's home world petition for the transfer fee. It meets the, the parameters of that. It would get approved. It's like a $2 million threshold and it's for stuff above that because like in Boston, because you have enough like sales going on at any given time, you can still get money from doing that. However, it doesn't serve well places like Martha's Vineyard that and all have the time have the because of how outrageously high the median home kind of home sale price is there that and if you have to go to that which i was looking the other day for um i believe it's like it's like three million or something like that that's the so price it severely limits what you can do if you're on the vineyard and the housing prices are also exorbitantly high and it's similarly because it pushes you well well above the million threshold and it similarly uh, weakens those in Western Mass, uh, kind of communities like Amherst, for instance, where uh, would be pushed to the 1 million level when you don't have as many properties that are selling for that, even though they have a housing crisis. I know in the, in the, in the bill filed the session on the transfer fee, one of the things that that, that that coalition had done was make sure that there's language to make it so that the bill can still kind of easily apply in a lot of Western mass where, where you just simply don't have property values hitting a million as you do kind of in the kind of Boston, Boston and its suburbs, and you still want them to be able to benefit from it. And so that there was not language put in that to be able to have like a lower threshold kick in for some, for some of the communities in Western mass. And this proposal puts them in back at, back at a higher threshold, which many of them simply just won't be able to raise as much money from. All right, let's um let's take a look at uh, eviction ceiling. So, like eviction ceiling is one thing that I find that I found disappointing. How the terms of the debate have kind of gotten weaker and narrower across sessions. So, one thing that's I important to recognize is that when people do have an eviction record, that can stay with them, stay with them for life, and it can make it difficult for them to get housing in the future because those are all public records. There's a large database of all kind of the eviction data, kind of. For people, even if, let's say, if you had a no-fault eviction, that can still harm you in the future. If you are a child and you're part of, like, your parents get evicted, even though that's, you're not the one who is paying or not paying rent, that can, that can still make it more difficult for you in the future. So one thing that started after that, kind of a few years ago, was the discussion of sealing eviction records, of creating a process, especially in those cases where it's no-fault, but even for cases where there is fault, to create a timeline by which you could get them sealed so that doesn't stay with you forever. Um, the thing that I that it is both nice to see progress made on that, um, 
but also disappointing with how the language doesn't have anything. It's not an automated process to the extent that it needs to be, because ultimately you don't want people to have to petition a court to be able to get their, get those records sealed. Because whenever you have multi-step processes around, around sealing records, and this is something that also happens in the criminal justice space as well, that when you make sealing the record, sealing a record, a burdensome and bureaucratic process, you don't have as many records sealed as really should be. Um, the thing that I've also just found disappointing in this space in general is that the legislature passed eviction sealing language back on uh, January 6th, 2021. I can remember the last date of the session because, although technically January 5th, they still pretended it was the 5th. Um, uh, and then Charlie Baker vetoed it and they, they haven't touched, they haven't taken it up since. Um, I can't remember the exactness of that legislation. I know the legislation filed uh, in that session was much stronger, uh, but it's been disappointing to see that it not see the quick follow-up progress that I would have liked to see and, and to see it put up bureaucratic hurdles that will make fewer people be able to directly benefit and quickly benefit. I always think about the complete um, imbalance of information available for tenants and for landlords. I mean, imagine if every landlord had to display how many times they have had like a health violation, how many times there was a, you know, a um, necessary um, uh, appliance that didn't work and for how many days, uh, how many times, like we had gas, a gas leak in our house. We reported it to the, you know, guy and to the, um, not the landlord, but the his helper guy and like months went by they didn't do anything you know like how like wouldn't it be nice to know if your landlord has evicted like three different tenants wouldn't it be nice to know like all the things that that can really have an impact on your daily life like as tenants we never have any ability to know that but landlords get to see like everything your entire financial history and everything we, we, we imagine the world if we got to have some information about the kind of you know person under whose control we will be Yep. Um, I'll just go really quickly to accessory dwelling units, which uh, appears actually to be a not bad part to it. Um, this would actually fix something that's happening in Worcester right now. So it permits um, ADUs above 900 square feet to be by right in single family zoning districts at all communities and prohibits owner occupancy requirements, um, as well as mandates within a half mile of transit. So, you know, it's not going to hit a lot of the communities, unfortunately, like that's still that should be just happening. Like if those things should just be allowed, accessory dwelling units everywhere. But there is a question of like, can you mandate it across the state without house without the uh without the sort of thing? So I think it's it's a probably the best you can get based on some maybe some of the limitations about uh government and who can who can say what to zoning and so forth in every community. Um this is also just another reminder that's um all of these zoning requirements came about to keep black people and Jewish people from living next to you. Um and when you hear a lot of these zoning requirements, remember that they went into place to redline, to keep me from living near you. And that's why we see those persistent things. And so when people fight against them, what they're saying is, I don't like those types of brown people to live next to me. Um, e even as that might not be what they're saying, that is where these, that's the sort of origins of all these things. Um, so I wish it went further. I think it probably went as far as it could, um, but I think those are good. Also inclusionary zoning by simple majority is really good. Um, you know, again, wish I had a little bit more, but I think that those are some some really good things. And and um, just, cross. 
And just, yeah, just to take it on that, that's one, like making it easier to pass inclusionary zoning measures, I think is an concept that got left out back a few sessions ago when the legislature had passed Charlie Baker's kind of like the MTA community, MBTA communities law and some other zoning reforms um, that in the zoning reforms they changed there, they made it easier to do various types of zoning changes, lowering the threshold from two thirds to one half, but they, this wasn't included. And I think that it is good for communities that do want to require more affordable housing to be built to allow them to do that by simple majority as opposed to two thirds. Um, I think that there, there are many communities that probably like will never even want to get that because of how hostile they are, but it, making it easier for it to happen. It becomes if you're organizing a campaign to get an inclusionary zoning ordinance passed in your, in your municipality, clearing a one half threshold is so much less daunting than passing a two thirds threshold. And I can tell you, as a zoning commissioner, that actually does come up a bunch. The two-thirds majority does make it difficult to do big projects, especially affordable housing projects. So it is, it's not nothing. You know, it does, you know, you have a lot of um, people who are just opposed to anything. <laughs> so yeah. making it easier does help it. And so I'm um, gonna, yeah. Yeah, one other quick thing that I would just note that I that I think would be that I thought was nice to see in the bill. It was just one provision. Um, I have to read the exact text, but makes it easier to to kind of use kind of state-owned land for housing, mm. which yep. I think is useful because if you think about all of the properties that say that, like a school that has been vacant for decades that's sitting that's sitting somewhere or like all various old municipal buildings or kind of wouldn't be municipal, I guess, in this case, but old state buildings um, that exist in different parts of the state that are just sitting just sitting there and not actually used to be able to streamline a process for getting housing from built there will help actually make them have like a productive and very socially beneficial use of that. Yeah. And yeah. we we will post a link so where you can read actually a ton of other policies that are included in this. Um, I just want to say again over for the overall for the overall thing itself. So again, the Healy administration is getting big press for four billion dollars, which is not nothing. Um, it's more than we thought that they were going to yeah. do. Uh, but this is again a soft bigotry of low expectations, um, according to the state itself. So the state did an assessment of how much money is needed to repair just its its own things for affordable housing. And based on the state's own data for the capital planning system of the Department of Housing and Community Development, it needs approximately 8.5 billion in capital um, to basic for basic responsibility for providing sustainable homes for people who live in public housing. So that means for the people who are currently in public housing, if they spent all of this money, which they're not planning to do, on just the affordable housing stock that the state owns, it's $8.5 billion today. And as Anna always reminds you, if it's $8.5 billion today, it's $10 billion tomorrow. It's $12 billion down the road, because when you don't actually fix it and you just patch a little hole, it gets worse over the long run, and then you put off those big capital things. So while they are getting good press for this. Just remind you, it is far below the need that this, and again, this isn't our assessment. This isn't the way the media talks about it, progressives wish list. This is the state's own assessment. This is what the state says it needs to do what the state needs to do to get this. It also won't meet the threshold that the 200,000 new affordable housing units um, that are required. Again, this is the state's own saying, it needs 200,000 affordable units, and that is today. So tomorrow, we will probably need more than that, and we will not get close to that. So um, this is all just to say that these are really good things, and they are also 
well below the state's own, the Healy administration's own assessment of what its own needs are. So it cut by half, a random number I'm guessing, its own needs, and even all of the half are not going to the things it needs to do. Yep. And I know we are, have a little bit of a short uh, period of time today for this podcast. I just want to see if I any of you guys want to talk specifically about the, there's like 1.6 set aside for public housing, 800,000 set aside for an affordable housing trust, um, like 425,000 for housing stabilization. Um, are there any particular pieces of this aside from just, hey man, eight and a half billion is really what we need and we're getting 4 billion distributed among other you know, more than more than what that was should be designated for. My only comments is always just like, go big. We have a lot of money. We need to spend a lot of money on that. We're an affluent state. If we want to address the cost of living in Massachusetts, we shouldn't be at like, we shouldn't be doing that through, let's say like regressive tax cuts. Uh, we, sh we should be doing that by making it more affordable to live here. Yeah, just as a reminder, so there's only a few counties in the country um, that have housing, um, that have median sort of single family housing above a million dollars. Um, there's just a few that in the in the whole country that are between 75, um, 750 and 100,000. And almost our entire state is those. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we are so so. Well, the rest, you know, people like California, but California is large. There's lots of places that don't have, um, you know, it is also unaffordable and they have an unaffordability crisis as everybody sort of on the coast do. But ours is particularly bad as a state. This is an unaddressed need and cutting, um, making it easier to transfer these without any sort of cost, making it easier for wealth to be transferred without any sort of redistribution to people who need it and actually cutting the money for rent stabilization, for unhoused people, while then saying to the federal government, we need money for housing people, <laughs> uh, is a certain decision. And so this is a bond bill. It is not a spending bill. We will not be spending this money. If we're lucky, we will spend most of it, but we don't know. And it's certainly not tomorrow. It's not when it gets passed. It's some far off time horizon. And so I think it's always a good reminder when you're thinking about these, that bond bills are not spending bills. All right, gang. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope that uh, you have a little bit more info here on this uh, bond bill from the Healy administration. Um, and we look forward to talking with you all next week.